Well, good morning to you. Hope you've had a wonderful week and hope you're going to have a wonderful week as you build up towards Christmas. This is a good time to be together with family and friends. Uh, I did a funeral this past week and um, it was Bruce Addison. Bruce is one of the guys that left Somerset West and went to Gordon's Bay when they planted. He died very suddenly. Um, was going down to the shops, closed the door. Obviously, he felt very bad. He put his keys, his cap uh, down on the windowsill as he had closed the door, locked the gate, and just collapsed and had a heart attack and died. So we did the funeral this past week, and uh, one of the requests that Lynn, his wife, uh, had made was just that at the end of the service is that I pronounce the benediction, which is from... Second uh, Corinthians, uh, let's go to that. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 18, I think. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's what it, what it says. There we go. And so as I pronounced that, and I've done that many times, many times here at Somerset West, I thought... I'm going to preach on that this coming Sunday. So that's going to be my sermon this morning. This is the introduction. Really, it's, it's more than an introduction. It talks about the Trinity, but I'm not going to give the theology of the Trinity um, and, and try to put into your heads the, the theology of the, of the Trinity uh, right before Christmas. <laughs> but I, I, want to, I want to just take each of those and just affirm your faith and to encourage you. You know, yes, the Trinity is super, super important. Um, St. Augustine said, can you imagine a child that digs a hole at the, uh, at the beach and the water comes in and fills that hole? Um, that's, in a sense, very much like our relationship with God and our minds. The, the, the water of the whole ocean cannot be contained in this hole. And so uh, our understanding of this infinite God cannot be contained in our small minds. So to try and understand the Trinity is going to be a difficult one. One theological professor said, the man who denies the Trinity will lose his soul. The man who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. <laughs> so the Trinity. We, we, we are... And let me give you a few illustrations about this. We are, as human beings, body, mind, and soul. Water composes of a solid, a liquid, and a vapor. It's all H2O. I am three things. I am a husband, I am a father, and also I am a son. To my mom, who is 86 and still continuing, God only knows how she's managed to get to 86, but I don't know. She's still surviving, and it's a wonderful thing. But I want to encourage you this morning, and I want to start off with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Paul start with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Why did he start with the Redeemer, the Son, and the Savior, and not God, the Sovereign Ruler, the Father, and the Creator of the universe? Why did he start off with Jesus, the Son of God? Well, if we have to reflect on life and our experience, we realize that we are in a terrible situation 
And many times we are frustrated, we are scared, and we are disappointed. In the book of Romans, in chapter 7, it says, For I do not do what I want to do, but the very thing that I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. So he's got a problem there. Paul is talking about this thing that I want to do. I don't do it. But in verse 24 of Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? One of the things that we need as individuals and as human beings is to bring, get salvation and deliverance. That's the thing. Who will deliver us from this body of death? The very next verse is, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need His grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved love. Grace is different from mercy. See, grace is getting something. It's getting the love of God. It's, it's getting something that we don't deserve. Hmm? Mercy is a little different because mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace, getting what we, do, we don't deserve, is we, we, we're getting this incredible love. We're getting redemption. We're getting salvation. Mercy is we're not getting what we do deserve. We're not getting hell. We're not getting punishment. But here it talks about the grace of God that comes upon us. And that, that is the strength of God. That is the power of God. That is the thing that enables us to overcome sin and to express our love and our adoration to God. Grace comes to us so that we can express, express a freedom, a freedom back to God, not a freedom to do our own thing. You see, so often, and I mean, we've had situations in Josh Jen in the, in the, in, in the past where Andrew challenges people and he says to them, you know, don't think that you can do whatever you want to do because of the grace of God, that you can live a sinful life. There was a man who, who was having marriage problems and he started sleeping around and he said, sometimes when I'm sleeping with another woman, I just experience the grace of God. What a terrible thing. What absolute rubbish. That's taking the grace of God for granted and pushing it back into the face of God. You see, one of the things that we see in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. I'll just read it. There we go. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Let me use an illustration. I want you to picture a chariot with horses. And in the chariot there is a driver. And he's got the reins in his hands. This is a chariot of life. And the reins are attached to the horses. And the horses are the driver's urges. The driver's desires and strivings. And the reins are attached to the hands of the, of, of the driver of the... These horses are tamed. But doing our own thing 
is tantamount to taking those reins and throwing them over the horses and saying in typical cowboy language, giddy up, we're on our way. We don't need any direction. I would look at those horses. I would look at those urges and those strivings and those desires. Everyone has urges. Everyone has strivings. Everyone has desires. They're all natural to us. I think of the hunger urge. Looking at some of you, you haven't had it fully satisfied. You're only looking forward to 12.30 where you can get stuck into your next meal. I think of the sex urge, a tremendously powerful urge within us. The social urge, the urge to be accepted, striving for ambition. These are our horses, our natural appetites, and everyone has them. But there is only one prerequisite. And that prerequisite is that these horses are reined. But the problem arises when we say, I don't need to have these things reined. And we throw the reins over. I'm free. And for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, we see the horses run. We see the absolute glee of the driver in the chariot. At last, at last, I'm free. I'm free. Those reins are over the horses and the horses are running. And it becomes a fearsome sight when you see those horses running and they're now out of control. And the driver, when he realizes that the horses are out of control, begins to realize he's in trouble. When I was 18 and 19, I did my national service in the South African police force. It's a weird thing, you know. At 18 years of age, patrolling the streets at night, arresting people at 18. You know, what, what really do you know at 18? But anyway, we had that privilege. And I remember one night... I, I did my time, I lived in Durban, and I did my time in, in, in Durban, and we were called out to uh, drunk and disorderly complaint at Amschlonga Rocks. We all know Amschlonga Rocks. And we went there, and we picked up a number of young people who were drunk and disorderly. We brought them back to the station, put them in the cells. They had to fulfill the four hours to begin to sober up. But some of them didn't have money to pay admission of guilt. We released some of them and we kept some of them back. And we could hear, as we sat in the charge office, we could hear the cry, the cry for help. Now, things had turned. Instead of them controlling the horses, the horses controlled them. And it was very, very different in that situation. They started off by saying, we want freedom. But the very nature that they had have had under control, now has them under control. The ambitions that they had once experienced had now become hateful. And they had become a victim to them. And the horses are running. The horses are galloping. And they cannot be stopped. Remember Paul's words? Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And that's why we need the grace of God. See, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart of man is deceitful and desperately corrupt. So we say with Paul in Romans chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's why we need the grace of God. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I look at the life of Paul, I see one of the greatest miracles that took place in the New Testament. 
the conversion of Paul, as he came into an understanding of that grace, that grace that Jesus came, came for him, came to deliver him, came to bring salvation and redemption. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ came to Paul. And it was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that kept Paul's mind and heart in the place where he knew that he was a forgiven man. It was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that swept away all resentment, all bitterness, all selfishness in his life. It was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that helped him not to falter or to fail as he fulfilled his Christian discipleship and his Christian service. It was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that made Paul more than a conqueror in all his times of trial, times of temptation, trouble, and tribulation. It was the grace of God that allowed Paul to be able to do all things through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was the grace of God that changed him from an arrogant and proud persecutor of the early Christian church into a loyal ambassador of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the grace of God. And it was the grace of God that opened the door to the love of the Father. And that's the next one. The love of the Father. The Father. You know, William Wordsworth said, Father, Father. To God himself, we cannot give a holier name. Hmm? When you come to that place where you say, Father, wow, something begins to happen inside of you. One of my favorite parables is the story of the prodigal son. I like to call it the story of the prodigal father. Why? Because prodigal means lavish, unrestrained, copious, giving. If there was anybody in that story that was lavish in love, it was the father. Not lavish and unrestrained in his sinfulness like the son, but the father. You see, when we read that story, we see the incredible depth of God's love that he has for us. His love knows no limits. His forgiveness knows no boundaries. His joy knows no restraint. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he started off with saying, by saying, Our Father. Our Father. Years ago when I was in the United States, I stayed with a family. And they had friends over the one night. And uh, the, the lady who was visiting was telling me, I had to go off to a meeting, but she was telling me uh, a story about her, uh, her son. She had four boys, and one of them uh, had, had uh, been tragically killed in an accident. And she was telling me how she just so enjoyed just being with her children, uh, how she took Mike off to university. He came back uh, times, sometimes with his girlfriend, who he had committed himself to maybe marry one day. Uh, and then I think one of the last trips back home, he was tragically killed in an accident. And you know, she said this to me. She said, I've got f I had four boys, but four minus one doesn't equal plenty. Man, when I was going off to the meeting later on, I, I was just thinking to myself, I wonder how God feels about us. 
you know, she had plenty of laughter, plenty of fun with the other children and the family, plenty of other responsibilities, plenty of everything, except that one son, Mike. Maybe you're a Mike here this morning. God has plenty of children. He has plenty of doctors and plenty of lawyers and plenty of preachers and builders and whatever, candlestick makers. He has plenty of everybody except you. And there will always be an empty spot in his heart and an empty chair at the table when you're not at home. Maybe when you feel God is crowding you in a little bit, try to forgive him because it might be one of those nights that he misses you so much that he can hardly stand it. He loves you. And we begin to understand the depth and comprehend the love that the Father has for us as his children, things begin to change. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father be with you. But let's not forget the Spirit. Let's not forget the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the work of the Spirit as well. In Acts chapter 19, Paul had an experience. He came to the church in Ephesus. And he met with them. They worshipped together. He says, he asks them this question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you first believed? Their response was, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes that's the missing dimension in the life and the work of a church, is the dimension of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you, as we come to the end of this year, may you realize the grace of God, may you realize the love of the Father, but also may you realize the companionship and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your life. As we go into the, in, in, into the new year, I want to say to you, may we realize the work of the Spirit on our lives, each one of us, in the life and the work of the church. One of the fascinating verses that I see in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 12, is when the Holy Spirit had fallen on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the words of this passage says, they continued in amazement and great perplexity. I would like to see and like to, to hear stories of, I don't know what God is doing, but it's wonderful because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the church is a supernatural, a supernatural creation. And we are part of being a part of a supernatural God, which means that if we are a supernatural creation and belong to a supernatural God, we are a supernatural people and must live in a supernatural dimension. And that means that we're going to have to allow the work of the Spirit more and more. God wants to pour out His Spirit on us that we function as a body of Christ, that we know the boldness and the power and the authority of God in our lives, that we have a new longing for spiritual gifts, that we begin to see signs and wonders and miracles, 
that we have a growing desire for evangelism, for those people out there that don't know the gospel, to draw them in, to pull them in, to tell them about this incredible God who loves them. Let's see more and more of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Two verses. May this be our prayer. Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 85 and verse 6. Will you not revive us again, Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? <laughs> I long to see the work of the Spirit take place in each one of our lives. So as we end this year, may his grace, may his undeserved love be upon you. As we end this year, may the love of the Father be known to you. And the work of the Spirit, the fellowship, the companionship, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. When you wake up in the morning, may you realize this is a God who is with me. The sun is 93 million miles away, 149 million kilometers away, but we experience its heat amongst us each day. You walk out of this air-conditioned place, you're going to know the heat of the Lord. It's going to be over 30 degrees today. <laughs> You'll know the heat. May we realize the companionship of the Holy Spirit in our lives each day.